Is there a storm coming? Let's pop the top on this. Cue the music. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the holy one. What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. And I'm Chris. And you're listening to another episode of that Philly Faith Podcast, where we talk the walk. And walk it too. Kick us right off, man. Right on. It's been a couple <laughs> weeks for us. I don't know. For those of you listening, I don't know if it's gonna if there's gonna be a delay between this one and the last one, or we've got some back episodes. But for Chris yeah. and I, it's been a it's been a couple weeks since we sat down so together. So. I think a month. Has it been a month? I think so. Yeah, I'm the slacker between, here. Well, I, you don't say that because there was one week I canceled. Uh, and Ronnie, then, Ronnie, and uh, them called me a slacker on the Broken Record I, yeah, Ministries podcast yeah, for being away. Yeah. They almost left me out. Funny story. Because I guess the other two guys, two of the other guys went on vacation too after I did. Uh-huh. And they were talking about them being gone and slacking. And Ronnie left my name completely out. And Bob's like, oh, you left one out there. Carl's yeah. been slacking too. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. he has been. Like, ah, almost dodged I it. Did, I, st- I think I started that episode. That's the most recent one. Yeah. And they were like, I, didn't, I guess I didn't get that far. Yeah. Because I didn't hear him call you out. But uh, it, was, it was pretty close to the beginning. Okay. He, he got there. I, maybe it was the end of it. They got there, though. They right. called me out pretty hard. Right on. Because they called the other two out of them uh, slackers. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Carl, I think pretty sure Carl was on vacation, too. Yeah, well, I'm not sorry. I needed it, so. Right on. Right on. No, like I said, you know, it was circumstantial. Things happened, and then I think, you know, we're feeling under the weather, and then you went on vacation, so works out. Yep. We're refreshed and ready to go. I hope so. We'll see how this goes. All right. Gotta sound like we're refreshed and ready yeah, to go, gotta, but that's all right. Got a bank of dad jokes Do now. You? Oh yeah. How many are you going to read? Oh, just one. Just one. I don't okay. use them all. Right? Uh, you, you get everybody all worked up and excited and then. Okay. Well, if, if I can remember a second one, I'll share a second one. <laughs> all right. Because I don't want to mess it up. So how does the moon cut his hair? How? He clips it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I heard another one, and I don't know if it's necessarily a bad joke, but I thought it was pretty funny when I heard it. I like it. Because the way it was delivered, it's so, the guy that I work out with, Joey, you know him, mm-hmm. uh, his little boy loves to tell jokes, and generally, I hear the same one for like two months. <laughs> it's the same joke, but I, you know, indulging, you know, I laugh every time, and it's it's a great time, and he delivers it so well, so I don't mind. This time he caught me off guard and he goes, <laughs> he goes, Hey, have you ever seen an elephant hiding in a tree? No, I have not. That's Sorry, because t- they're good at it. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a second that you were telling me the joke. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah, like that was the joke. Yeah. Because I, I, I did the same thing. I was like, No. Can't I'm ever racking my brain here. I don't yeah, recall that. Can't no. ever say that I have. And he goes, that's because they're so good at it. <laughs> it's <laughs> hilarious. In the middle of Dollar General, he's yelling at this joke at me. It's great. It's hilarious. Yeah, so I went to Yellowstone. And I discovered through the course of our, of our trip that a lot of men really enjoy writing their names on urinals. Have you ever noticed that? Mm, no, I can't say as I have. Bothers me. Really bothers me. I had a conversation with my stepdad about it. Like, 
in the urinal, which was really awkward. I broke guy code. Probably shouldn't have talked about it. Some stranger walked in the middle of the conversation, looked at it. I mean, like I was nuts. Right. He told me a story. He said that this is not Bible related in any way, shape or form. I apologize to those of you listening. I'm not sorry. But he said that he read a story one time that they actually did some excavation somewhere like Pompeii or something like that. They got buried right. in, yeah. in ash, you know, and they found the latrine area. Uh-huh. And even back then, they were finding people that had inscribed their names Maximus and stuff like that. They didn't inscribe their name in the latrines. Really? going on for like 2,000 years. It just, tr- the, the media transferred over. I wouldn't have expected that. I don't, I don't know why it bothers me, but it does. So, Women apparently don't do it. So it's they, a guy thing. Like, are you talking about like they write it on the wall or actually oh, man. like. Everyone I went to, they had it scratched into the metal or on the wall or something. Okay. Cause I was thinking like, cause you say on the, in, on the urinal and I was like, do they write it in like Sharpie? Cause that most of the time that's porcelain and that's not easy to inscribe. No, like the middle part at the top. <laughs> oh, okay. If you got to have like a knife or something, they scratch yeah. their name into. I don't know why I brought that up. I just, yeah. I mean, I have seen a lot of names. I didn't really, I guess I really didn't put the, the gender with the, which I guess if you're staying in a urinal, you're, you're a male. So yeah. I feel obligated <laughs> to make some sort of biblical connection with it. I think we have a weird obsession with making our names last. Right. Like we have some weird, like self-worshipping obsession, which with, 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 with making sure people remember who we are. Like while we were gone at one point, I read, I turned to, uh, uh, the account of his name, Absalom, David's son, the one that rebelled. I led a rebellion against David and kicked mm-hmm. David out of the city. And uh, in the chapter that it talks about his death, which we'll actually get into toward the end of the episode, because there's there's something interesting that it says there, but he gets caught in an oak tree, right? And mm-hmm. it talks about how he how he was killed by Joab, kind of murdered by Joab, really, against David's orders. But at the end of the chapter, it's talking about Absalom's sin, mm-hmm. right? And it says that he actually set up before, and I don't know how long he was in Jerusalem, how long this time period went on, but he had enough time to set up a monument to himself, it says, because he didn't have a son. Right. And it says that he said to himself, my name won't last because I don't have a son. I want to make sure my name lasts forever. So he sets up like a monument to himself. And that monument, it says at the time of the writing of, of the book of Kings, it said it still stands there to this day. So rather than look to the most high, he was, he was trying to set himself up and make his name last forever. Right. Right. I don't know. It's, I think that's the source of all idolatry. Right. Really, I think we're trying to make ourselves alive. We're trying to set monuments up to ourselves, right? Instead of seeking the one that is the only one worthy of a monument, right? Right. No, it's it's kind of on the nose with what I talked about um, a couple of weeks ago with my walk of, you know, not really believing that, you know, my life is everlasting through Him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's where we should be putting, you know, making our name is through him, right. not, not through ourselves. And, I've, you know, that, I mean, that kind of go inside, coincides with exactly what I was thinking is, you know, when I cease to exist, you know, my daughter might remember me, my grandkids, but after that, it's like, I'll fade away into nothing. Yeah. Right? Well, from a worldly and, perspective, and from yeah. a worldly perspective, that was where, you know, like I will, no longer be, I will cease to be, but forgetting, no, you won't. Mm-hmm. You know, that Jesus conquered the grave. There's no death in him. Right. right. 
So yeah, if you're walking with the eternal one, you're eternal too. Yeah. I think people that aren't walking with him are, are refusing to walk with him right. more accurately or sort of in a, in a panic. Right. Cause we have that, we have that inward need to last forever. Like he programmed us with that, mm -hmm. but we can only really last forever through him. Right. So when we're not with him, we try to find other ways to last. Right. Well, and so do you think it would be, I don't know, accurate to say that we're trying to preserve our earthly name, not our heavenly name? Yes. So that's, yeah. And there's I mean, a connection there that I'll share with you and that kind of blows my mind a little bit, I'll be honest with you. But right? yes, I absolutely think it's the difference between seeking seeking an everlasting status on earth compared to an everlasting status in heaven where we really belong. Right. It, you know, and I get it. Don't stone me about the fact that there's going to be a new earth and that's where we'll live. I get that. I'm talking poetically. The right. difference between earth as it is and heaven as in the way things should be. Mm -hmm. And and we always, or don't always, but we tend to, in our sin nature, naturally, we, we naturally err toward trying to seek a name here. Right. And that's not where we belong forever. As if years from now, if somebody mentions the name John Smith, they'll be like, Hey, I read that name on a urinal in Yellowstone park. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? I'll remember him forever. <laughs> remember forever. I'm going to tell that story <laughs> on my deathbed to my great grandkids. I know that guy. I saw his name on a <laughs> urinal. <laughs> I was going to say something, but that totally wiped it out. So it must not have been important. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. That's going to bug me all day, though. What was I going to say? I don't know. I do that all the time, man. Clearly didn't matter that much. It felt like it mattered. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. What's been on I your just, mind? Just throw a just rocket, rocketed to your. I'm 100% sure if I forgot, he didn't want me to say it. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Maybe he didn't want me to bring any of that up. He's like, all right, move on. Yeah, move on. <laughs> Stop gonna, the urinal talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad witness. Right on, right on. I mean, do you have anything anything else that uh, you'd like to bring up now? For a... No. No, save it to I, the... Yeah, okay. I, there is. there are some things about the trip. But I'll just say this. Uh, it was, in my mind, I thought it was going to be uh, a break. Right. Some things here with ministry and, and, and some stuff that my, my call and things that he's laid on me have, have been wearing heavy mm -hmm. and leading me to frustration and frustration. It never leads you to what I just said, a, a good witness, right. right? What I tell you before the, we started recording anger burns out the brain. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely true. And I, it, my greatest sin is my anger. Right. I get frustrated and that turns to anger and that leads to saying things I even though the things I say, the frustrations are based upon justifiable reasons, the way you respond to it's often not good. What does Paul say? I forget where he says it, but he says, be angry, but do not sin. Right. Very clear what he's saying there. The anger isn't the sin. It's what you do with it mm -hmm. that often is. And because it burns out your brain, too often we, we err on the side of not doing very good with it. Right. Right. It's always better to kind of take a step back and calm yourself, especially when you're having disagreements and frustrations with fellow believers, mm -hmm. people you thought were brothers, even people you thought were friends, but aren't acting like it. seems like my life is cursed to, to, to give more friendship than I often get. And you're one of the few that I get friendship back from. Right. <laughs> I think you know that, you know, my story better than most people do. But, uh, 
I did read, and before I hand it over to you to let you share what you've got, right uh, like I say, he laid some heavy things on me during the trip. It wasn't really the break I thought it was. It was his way of getting me to stop, right, mm-hmm. and reevaluate my course yeah. and get back on on track where he wants me to be. I kind of got, uh, my focus got diverted in a way that it shouldn't have. Let's just mm-hmm. put it that way. But I read a story. It was about a guy named Ul- Ulrich Zwingli was his name. He lived during the same time period as Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't, I didn't look into the actual disagreement they had, but at one point he had a pretty sharp disagreement with Martin Luther. And it was leading him, my understanding is, to respond to that disagreement in ways that he probably shouldn't. Right. And he was trying to figure out what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Right. How do, how do I respond to this? Right. When I, when I have a disagreement with somebody that I shouldn't have a disagreement with, you know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. or, or in a way that I shouldn't be disagreeing with. How do we respond to it? And he got his answer when he went to, I believe it's the Swiss Alps. And he, he's on the Swiss Alps and he's, there's this very narrow pathway that he sees. And he sees two goats. One's descending the mountain and one's attempting to ascend the mountain, to go up the mountain. So you have one goat trying to get to the top of the mountain. Right. And one goat stubbornly walking down the mountain. And he said when he, when he saw them, the first reaction they had was to back up and lower their heads like they were about to butt heads, which is the initial reaction we always get when we're frustrated yeah. and angry. Get we out of my butt, way. Yes. Yeah. We want to butt heads. We may even butt heads a couple times. And he said that's when something that was paradigm shifting for him happened. The goat that was attempting to, to climb the mountain stopped butting heads with the other goat and laid down. Bent low, lowered himself and laid down and allowed the goat that was descending the mountain to walk on its back to get past it. Allowed the, allowed the other goat to walk on him to continue climbing down the mountain and it freed up the path in front of the goat to walk up the mountain. And that was when he got his aha moment. Right. The answer isn't to lash out in anger. The answer isn't to butt heads with one another. The answer is to bend low, to humble ourselves, sometimes to let ourselves get walked on, even when it doesn't seem fair. Because in doing that, in humbling ourselves like our master did, like our Messiah did, it opens the path before us that God has laid out for us that he wants us to walk. Sometimes the, the only way to, to clear the obstacle standing in our way is to bend low and humble ourselves. Right. That was kind of huge for me. It's tough for me. I'll be honest with you. It's, it's tough. Right. My response is to butt heads. Oh yeah. Mine, mine is too. Has been for a long time. Yeah. I'm trying to get better at it, but. Um, it's a battle. Yeah, for sure. Which kind of segues us right into, to what's been going on happenings in the last couple of weeks in my life. In Chris world. Or in Chris world. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> so. This is kind of going to be, as most of my stories are, kind of jumbled. Kind of don't know where I want to start it off with. But it always, for me, it's always, I always kind of leave ends untied for a long time. Mm-hmm. So a long, a long, a while back on the podcast, we talked about, I posed the question um, in, in a roundabout way is, do you, do you think that, our problems, even small ones, 
that don't seem like they concern God are things that we should still be handing over to God. And I mean, that's kind of a, a ham palm, you know, saying, of course, right? right. And, that, and that's the conclusion we came up with. And it's kind of a loaded question. Of course, everything, he is concerned with everything, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that kind of, you know, thinking about that, like, you know, all the, not only giving up the big things, but giving up the small things. <clears throat> so that led into, um, you know, we talked about not too long ago about how you went through your house and wiped it, uh, wiped it through a media that didn't feed your spiritual right. being, right? Yes. So anything secular you removed from your house because it had no place sharing space. I won't, yeah, I won't say anything secular, but anything that would had unrighteousness or unholiness right. attached to it. Right. Yeah. And I forget what episode that was, but so that kind of got me thinking like not to, I don't want to seem like I'd ever disclaim something that you say. Cause I don't, but I'm like, is it really that effective? Like can, can a sponging things like that from your life really be that effective or do they really do that much harm? Right. Right. So those two things in mind, right. It's pretty, pretty good lead up. Right. That's great. It's not gonna. It's not gonna be. It's not gonna be so big of an aha moment. But, <laughs> um. So recently, I've been getting back into the gym, and but I've found that. So I have a playlist, uh, and I and I I use. I don't know if I can say this or not. I use Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. We're on right. Amazon. That's okay. okay. Right on. All right. <laughs> yeah. Go Amazon. So they allow you to create playlists, right? So you just put it on your playlist. So anytime I hear a song that I'm like, oh man, I think that sounds good to work out to, put it on my playlist, my workout playlist. Right. Well, recently, and so it's real nice. You go into your playlist, just like, I mean, anybody that, I don't know why I'm saying this, like, like you don't know how playlists work, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I have them divided up between like, you know, ones like 90s music that I listen to, ones country music that I listen to, and then, you know, all the bangers. I guess you would call them I mm-hmm. have as my workout. Right. But I noticed that recently I'm like, and that's one of the things that's always got me like pumped up at the gym was, you know, listening to some, some good music, some good heavy music or whatever. And, uh, but recently I, you know, I noticed that I'm like, eh, skip, eh, skip, eh, skip. And it'd be a long time before I found, before I would, hit a song where I'd be like, all right, I'll listen to this one all the way through. And then I get into working out for like three or four minutes, however the song lasts. I'm like, it would shuffle to the next one. I'm like, eh, skip, eh, skip. So that led me to, well, maybe I just need some more music. You know, maybe it's time for a refresh. So I was throwing out the idea of like putting it out to our listeners. Hey, you know, build me a, build me a playlist of your favorite songs. Right. And it's throwing that back and forth. And I'm like, yeah, you know, nah, that seems like small potatoes, you know, that doesn't, doesn't net warrant putting it out there or whatever. So I'm like, I'm going to handle it on my own. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Amazon, I don't know how other streaming services work, but Amazon has like, uh, songs you might like, 
mm-hmm. on their homepage, right? So it's a, a playlist based upon your listenings. Yeah, ha- Spotify does that too, like curated pay- playlists. Yeah, yeah, like things you might like, you know, if you're looking for something new or whatever. And I came across this song. Uh, let me let me find it here. And and granted, so while all this is going on in the background, I'm still have those loosens in my head. Is it really that effective? Mm-hmm. Is it really that effective? Does it care that much? Does, Does it, it affect that my much? spirituality yeah. that much? Yeah. Yeah. So I came across this this song. Let me get the because I screenshotted the lyrics of it so I could so I could find it and. Wouldn't you know it? I don't think my screenshot's took. I hope you can edit this out. <laughs> I'll I'll think about it. Right on. Dee, dee, dee. Oh, I did they did they did take. Awesome. So again, with the theme of does he does he really care about the small things? Is he really with you on the small things? I came across this song and I, it's like the eighth time I've said that. It's called <laughs> On My Own by ashes remain okay so it was just in my hey songs you might like playlist it was the very last one i'm like all right so i got all the way to the bottom so i listened to it and this lyric hit me like a ton of bricks you ready for it i am in the end i'm realizing i was never meant to fight on my own every little thing i've known is everything i need to let go you're so much bigger than the world I have made. So I surrender my soul. I'm reaching out for your hope. I I read that really fast because I wanted to get through it without tearing up. Because mm-hmm. it, it hits so hard. And I talked about how for a long time I stepped away from the church and I made it quote quote on my own. Yeah. Right. Never really realizing how far I was until I got to the point where I didn't even believe in his power anymore. Right? Yeah. So then this hits me. Okay. What's even more amazing about that is I'm like, oh man, that's, that's a good one. I put it on my workout list. Okay. I get to the gym cause I'm, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm doing it on my phone on the way to work on the way to the gym. I get to the gym I'm like, that's the first song I want to listen to. And when you build a list in Amazon, it always adds it to the bottom of the list. Right. right? I go to the bottom of the list. It's not there. That's weird. I know I put it in my playlist. I added it to my songs because you have an overall, like this is your collection of songs, but then you can divide it into a playlist. I put it in my songs and in my playlist. But it was so new to me, I hadn't wrote the name of the the title down. So I was like, oh no. So I went back to my songs you might like list, went to the bottom and hit it again to add it to the playlist. It says it's already in your playlist. Weird, right? So close the app, open the app back up, go to my workout list, go to the end of it. Not there. Not there. I'm like, why is it not there? Why is it not there? Two, two songs up from the bottom of my list is a song. I'm not going to, I'm not going to call out the title, but at the end of it, it has explicit, Uh huh. which, you know, almost any song that has explicit at the end of it 
Pretty vile, usually. Pretty vile. So I'm like, all right. So I start scrolling up through my playlist. Explicit, explicit, explicit. And then like every fifth song is like a, is like a rock version of a, of a praise song. Until you get about, I don't know, about a quarter of the way up. And then it turns to all songs that should not be sparing, sharing a space with, with him. And it's like. Stuff that he wouldn't be playing in heaven. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, if there was a gym in heaven, these songs wouldn't be playing at the gym. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I, I get it. So I start cleaning out, cleaning out, cleaning out, cleaning out. As much as I can, cleaning out, cleaning out, cleaning out. Close the app, open it back up, go to that playlist. First song on the playlist, not last. First song on the playlist is that song. The song that inspired you or gave you that aha moment to begin with. Right. And it's supposed to be at the bottom. It's at the top. Not, not reordering by me. That was, that happened. It just, it just hit me so much. And so again, but I'm hard headed. Uh-huh. Right? So I'm like, it, I went in and I had a banger workout, you know, it was great. Felt great. A couple of days went by and I'm like, you know, and now we're, now we're caught up to present day. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I just don't see, you know, like, it it helped, but I still don't see why I can't, why, you know, having that stuff mixed in, you know, like I still don't get the, like, I'm still not comprehending it, I guess yeah. is the right why word. Why it matters that Why much. it matters so much. And then an article pops up on my Facebook feed. Okay. And it's from the Daily Wire. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen, if you've seen the one that I'm talking about. But so do you know who, uh, let me see, I think her name's Kat Von D is. Uh, that doesn't ring a bell. Okay. So the only reason, like I said, the only, I, I wouldn't expect you to know who she was. Um, but the only reason that I know who she is is because, again, it's just, you know, some of the stuff that I watched probably that I shouldn't have been watching. So let me get to the, let me get to the article before I go any further about who she is. Yeah, so Kat Von D, I did get the name right. So she is a star of one of a reality show, of one of the inked reality shows. Mm-hmm. So she's a pretty famous tattoo artist. Um, and to, so to summarize the article, it's a pretty interesting article. Um, and so I'll read you the headline and, I, and, and you see if you can figure out why this jumped out at me. There's a spiritual battle taking place Kat Von D ditches occult items, witchcraft books, and says she's got a lot of things wrong. Purging. Right. Anything purging. that's unclean and not of him, she's purging out. Purging. So I don't, well, I don't want to go out and say that it's specifically a Jesus reasoning because she never did really specify that, I guess, in the in the article. So we don't know for sure. So we don't know if it's for sure for him, but what she did say was, um, 
not to cut you off, I can't imagine why you would do that otherwise, though. Right. And why you would call it a spiritual battle. Right. That the things that would be explicitly battling the things that you have in your life, if it's not him, what else would what else would That's, it be? It's biblical terminology she's using. Right, yeah. right. Today, so this is a quote from her. Today I went through my entire library and threw out books that just don't align with who I am and who I want to be. I've always found beauty in the macabre, M-A- macabre, macabre. Mm. but at this point, I just had to ask myself, what is my relationship with this content? And the truth is, I just don't want to invite any of these things into our lives, even if it comes disguised in beautiful covers, collecting dust on my shelves. She then referenced, and then this is the article coming back, and then she then referenced a spiritual battle going on, which led to her to rethink items she kept in her home. The photos uh, and the photos include posts of tarot cards and witchcraft books, among other things. And so then again, she's quoted as saying, "In no way is this post designed to put anyone out down if you're into this stuff." because I think we are all on our own journey and I love everyone regardless of where we might be at. So again, it's like, even, even in that sentence, she's saying this isn't for me, but I still love you Mm -hmm. as a person. Right. But right now it's never been clear to me that there is a, I'm sorry, but right now it's never been more clear to me that there is a spiritual battle taking place and I want to surround myself and my family with love and light. So she didn't come out and explicitly say, you know, that it was, you know, spirit, her spiritual guidance coming from God, but love and love and light. I mean, she's using the word she's using. Right. Make me think that it's the spirit working on right. her. Right. And that's, and that's kind of where I, I'm going to agree with that because no sooner did I start backsliding that a little bit than he comes with another affirmation. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta bring this up because we talked about that. We talked about scrubbing those things from your life that, you know, and, and this world that you've built, because if you don't do that, eventually the tools that you pick up to battle whatever you're battling are going to be ones you made, not what he made. Yes. Right. So if I'm in the gym and I'm struggling and I'm, and I'm trying to find, you know, motivation, it shouldn't be coming from secular music that, that, you know, is derogatory towards women and you know what I mean? And, sex and gangs and violence and all murder and all that stuff. It should come from a different place, right? Cause that has no, one does not have place with the other. Right. Right. So in your house, right. If you have things in your house that it, it's, it's almost like how can you be expected to change when you do nothing to change your surroundings? Right. Right. Eventually, you know, if you're, if you're a, a rotten apple that's made, been made whole, but you're still in a batch with rotten apples, well, that's what's going to happen. You're going to become, a, I'm not saying people are like they're rotten apples. I'm just, that's the vernacular that I used. Is that the right word? Right. It, but it's accurate. Uh, I think it's the prophet Haggai. 
Yahweh through Haggai gives the people uh, uh, an analogy. Right. And he, I'm not going to turn to it right now, but essentially what he says is holiness does not spread to the unholy and make it holy. But holiness, or unholiness, I'm sorry, does spread to the holy and make it unholy. When you, when you put the two together, when you bring holiness and put unholiness with it, everything becomes unholy. Right. Never the other way around. And the only way to avoid that is to purge what's unholy in his sight. I think before we've used the, uh, the, the metaphor of a sponge, right? And there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's two, you're, you know, we're all sponges, and we're surrounded by two forms of water, dirty, bitter water or the living water. And we have a choice on what we absorb, right? you know, and, and he, he won't accept the dirty, bitter water or right. an admixture of the two. And if we fill ourselves with that, we have to surrender ourselves to let him squeeze that out of us so that we can be filled with his living water, mm-hmm. which like you said, like we've said before, he doesn't share space. He doesn't. Right. He wants us to surrender to that process. Right. And, and without, without being pursuant of that, of that lifestyle, you're you're bound to bring things in that like like she said and like even so i kind of drew the parallel between like your first editions right like Mm -hmm. they were packaged real nice and neat on your shelf and you you were beginning to have an obsession with just first editions of anything yeah right so and and the only reason that and and i'll say this that that kind of hit hard was i I kind of shrugged it off when it happened, but in the interim of all this going on, I was watching a TV show called Hoarders, right? And I do that for my therapy. This is kind of a lighter note. Um, <laughs> anybody that knows me knows my my family has hoarding tendencies, right? And it drives me bonkers. <laughs> and so the way that I kind of keep myself from doing that in my own life is I like I watch Hoarders and I'm like, yeah, this is what my life could happen, right? If mm-hmm. I let it go, um, it's kind of a drastic, you know. But anyways, I, that's getting off subject. But um, so on the show, one of them, one of the ladies had, um, she slipped into a very heavy depression. But before she started hoarding, um, the depression came from uh, she had had a couple. Um, individuals pass away on her and then also come to find out that the house that she purchased, I think, or moved into, I can't, I don't know if she purchased or moved into it, maybe both. Like if she was renting and moved in or whatever, but a person had died there. So she was convinced that she was being haunted, which is not something I don't or no, which is something I believe in. I believe in, in, in the sense that, demons can if you allow them can can enter into your life mm-hmm. and take on different aspects they can be mental demons they can be physical demons they can be demons presenting themselves as aspirations to people that are susceptible to that and she very admittedly said i feel like my aura is susceptible to being haunted to 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 being communicative with the afterlife and so it kind of got off which is new age occult talk which is probably why she's being right oppressed to begin with right and that's exactly the the thing that i drew because are the connections that i drew because her house is like full of pentagrams and and she's like 
doing she's doing things that would be associated with witchcraft and keeping spirits away like putting salt lines around the house mm-hmm. using you know children's hair and whatever so she's basically battling a cult with witchcraft right but what's interesting is when the person because they always send a psychiatrist in to talk to the person first and then they bring in like a team of cleanup experts i don't know if you've ever seen the show no, I haven't. Okay, so, and then the whole show is about them basically decluttering their house, cleaning up their house, and then um, them getting back on the road to to not being hoarders. Right. Right, because a lot of these people have chronic health issues or their house is condemned and they can't live in it anymore, so they're trying to get it uncondemned. So they, they bring in a psychologist to work on because hoarding is, men, is, is a mental disorder. It's classified as one. Um, and they always show this person showing up to the house, knocking on the door. Oh, hello. My name is so-and-so on the door. She's wrote in some sort of blood. I don't think they were really specific. She, and I know this is getting kind of out there, but let me. Yeah. No, you, yeah. So, I'm giving you time and space. Right. Good. So on the door is wrote Yahweh and Jehovah. Okay. And I was like, okay, that's weird. So the, the therapist asks, you know, what's, what's the significance here? She's like, well, I've done this to, to ward off the evil spirits, to ward off the demons that come and try to enter through the door that if you invoke the name of the most high, it prevents them from entering. Okay. So then, then they kind of got off on, it was kind of a, like, like maybe she was trying to deal with these spiritually, which is the only way to deal with these demons. Bar none, there's a demon in your life. No other alternative is going to save you except for him. Right. right? He's your only deliverance He's option. He's your only deliverance in that situation, which is why I take people saying that stuff very seriously because it's so easy to get caught up in the macabre of salt lines around the house or, you know, so I was kind of like, Oh, they're kind of, she's kind of coming back from it. So they got all the house cleaned up fast forward to the end of the show. They got the house cleaned up. Now she's ready for like, now we're ready to get the spirits out of here. And I'm like, okay, so they're, they're going to call a priest or, you know, something like that. Guess who they call. Do I want to know? Probably not. Hit me with it. The, Basically, the grand marshal of the local witch association. He's a, like, they, he had some, I wished I would have wrote it down. It was some prolific name, but he was basically a, categorized as a grand wizard, like, like magic, magical wizard of the, of the area, right? Like, basically, like, like he's like Dumbledore of the area, right? Like a demonic he, priest. Right. Exactly. Like he's like, I'm just like, this, this is, and, and I, and I kind of, I kind of like chuckled, like <laughs> he invoked the name of, of Yahweh at the door, but yet you invite a, a wizard into your house to, to use witchcraft to cleanse your house of the demons. I just think that's kind of, oh, kind of, kind of funny, but now flash forward and I'm like, this is, this is why, this is why, this is why we have a problem. 
he like people would say that and say, well, look, he had, she had the name of the most high on the door and he did nothing because she continually did everything else wrong. Yeah. Like I believe, I believe that if you earnestly invoke the name of Yahweh at your door in the right sense, then yes, it would drive the demons out or, uh, or keep them at bay. But yet when you turn right around and you invite a wizard into your, a self-proclaimed wizard into your house that follows the occult, you're not really doing much, but people will blame it on God. Yeah. Do you remember when we had a discussion? I don't remember what episode it was. It may even be on an episode that's no longer available before our rename. But we talked about what it really means to to take the name of Yahweh in vain. Yeah, I, and, and, the, and the commandments. Yep. And it's not saying his name, or it's not saying it's not saying his name in common speech in a way we shouldn't. Although that's not good. Right. What's what's really implied there by the Greek is to carry his name falsely. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what she's exhibiting there. She's treating the name of Yahweh like the vowels themselves have power. Right. Or not the vowels, the consonants, the the letters. Like saying it or writing it somehow has power. There's no power in the word of the name. There's power in the person. And the only way you can tap into the power of the person is to have a relationship with him. And he doesn't share space. Right. She's trying to force him to share space with things that he says are evil. Right. And and she's inviting more more evil into her life and thinking that if she just writes his name on a doorway, that it's going to fix everything. Right. No, it won't. His, mm-hmm. You know, you may have written his name there. His name may be there, but he's not. Right. Because you haven't given him a, a space to dwell in. And that's what. And I guess that's what I say when I say are more in line with what I mean when I say when you provoke his name in earnest like you know who he is and you know his power yeah and you trust in that power alone to do the things that the to the tools that you've made yourself you know the salt lines and the pentagrams and whatever else that you put all over your house you he yeah you said like you, you hit the nail on the head that's where i was going he won't share space with that so invoking his name won't work because he won't be there. Right. Because it's just his name. It's not him. You, you don't have him. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. So, and so, and then, and just, and then, then, then that, to, you know, to happen in the middle of kind of doubting, well, is this sponging all that stuff from your life really that important? Like, like where, how far do you need to go? And that's kind of where that's that's where I'm at now. How far, how deep do I cut down, and do I get to a point where I'm like, okay, this is, this is this is baseline, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm also one of those people that like I don't believe God doesn't want you to have any fun in your life or do things that you enjoy, right? But we and we've had that same conversation of you should be able to to praise Him in whatever you do. Yes. Right. So just one of those things it's it's you know, if I'm sitting in the gym and I'm I'm you know, I'm I'm rocking out to to a secular song, like how can how can he be there with me when when that's something that I'm partaking in? Right. Right. Fun and entertainment isn't a sin. Right. But if if we have fun or find ourselves entertained by things he does call sin, 
we need to do a heart check. Right. Right. I, you, know, you know what my answer would be if it's got anything in it that he calls specifically in his word abominable. It should be thrown out. Right. Right. And I think the church typically mainstream theology does this a disservice by mm-hmm. insisting so much that, you know, essentially theology, they use a lot of buzzwords and, and, and terminology to get around what they're really teaching. But what they're really teaching is uh, you have Jesus now so you can do the things the father called sin. Right. Essentially what they say. Right. right. We can, in, we can, we can involve ourselves in pagan practices. We'll just rename them. Right. We'll just put a Jesus tag on it. You know, we can ignore, we can ignore these commandments that we don't like. We'll just cover it in Jesus' blood and call it good. You know, and you know, typically churches don't, don't go so far as to bring occultism in. Right. But the theology implies that it would be okay if we did. Mm-hmm. If we're being honest with ourselves, if we're saying that as long as you just believe and invoke the name Jesus, that everything's okay and nothing matters, what are you really saying? You may mean, you know, it, when you say that, you may mean that we don't have to do the Sabbath now. We can ignore the dietary stuff now. We can ignore his holy days now. We can we can involve ourselves in things that are historically pagan holidays now. That may be what you mean, but the world can easily take that and, you know, you've drawn the line here. What's to keep somebody from taking 10 steps past the line and drawing it there? Mm-hmm. It's the same theology. Yep. What difference does it make? Right. And it does make a difference. There is a line that he's drawn and we can't take it upon ourselves to step past his line and draw our own and then demand all the blessings on the other side of it. Now, I'm not saying that you're not saved, but right. I am saying if you want to be used by him in a really powerful way, he's going to purge you. I right. believe that with all my heart. I believe the very first thing he's going to do is purge you of anything that he calls unclean. We see that pictured with Gideon in Judges chapter six. He, you know, the, the people have turned to idolatry, right? Like they do over and over again in the judges periods. And they finally, you know, they're, they're under Midianite oppression for seven years. They cry out to the most high. They finally call upon his name and he hears them because he loves them. So he goes to Midian or I'm sorry, he goes to Gideon and has a, conf- a face-to-face conversation with Gideon because he's chosen Gideon to be the person through whom he delivers the people. He's doing the work, but Gideon's his witness, mm-hmm. right? He's his witness to it. And the very for after, after Gideon responds to the call with willingness, the very first thing he has Gideon do is go home to his father's house, and there's an idol there that his father commissioned. The first thing he tells Gideon to do, go home, tear down the idol, break it into pieces and build an altar to my name on top of it. Very first thing he has Gideon do is remove the stuff that he's sharing a space with, remove the idolatry. In that case, it's literal idolatry, but I think it would apply to anything. And you know, idolatry can be anything that we, that we hold in our life that willfully disagrees with his instructions, right? Holding on to the unholy and refusing to let it go, it becomes an idol. I don't care what it is. It yep. eventually becomes an idol. Yeah, I think when we hear that, when we hear that term, it always, we always, in our minds, we always go to some actual thing that we can look at mm-hmm. when, when in turn, when, it, when in actuality, the idol in that situation is anything that displaces him or come, or if you put before him, albeit money, relationships, whatever it is. I agree. Right. I will, I will say this though, too, that, and I, and I understand where a lot of people, they, the first thing that they want to say in rebuke to this is, well, Jesus sat with sinners and say, and, and angels, you know, why can't I do both? Right. I'm like, well, I agree with that statement, but 
or I guess it was the, the statement of uh, not sinners and angels. It was sinners and non-sinners both. Yeah, sinners, sinners and saints is what sinners they usually say. Sinners and saints, sinners and priests, however you want to work. Gosh, dang. <laughs> I thought I... Sorry. Um, it's... I'm trying to edit that out, man. No, I'm going to leave it in. Ah, uh, dang. All right. Um, trying to get back on my train of thought. Yeah, so that the the argument that they use is, well, Jesus sat with sinners and saints. I should I should do the I should do the same, to so that no matter where I'm going, I'm witnessing. I'm like, okay, I get what you're saying there, and I get the sentiment, but you have to be perfect with it. Mm-hmm. Jesus was perfect with it. He was there for the right reasons. All the time, 100%. When you start mixing too, like you said, he doesn't share space. When you mix it, it dilutes it, and it'll push them out. Yep. Right? To eventually, you're not going or you're not doing those things to be a witness, but you end up, you're doing them because you keep doing them because you like to do them. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Never, never did he endorse sin. Right. Never did he say sin's okay now. You can you can continue in your sin. Yes, he sat with sinners. They were repentant. Right? Right. And even if they were continuing to struggle in their sin like we all do, he loved them in their struggle, but he didn't tell them to stop struggling. Right. Uh, too often they use that because I've seen it I've seen it misused and abused that way. He sat with sinners. Yes, he did. He loved them. He loved us. He's compassionate. He, he always is, but he, he didn't tell him to stop struggling against sin. Right. And I think they want to use him sitting with sinners as an excuse to stop struggling with their own sin. I don't have to struggle against sin anymore because he sat with sinners. That's not what he said. Mm-hmm. Tells the adulterous woman to go and sin no more. He, right. he harshly brought up, or I wouldn't say harshly, bluntly brought up the sins of the woman at the well. Brought up her multiple marriages and adultery. You know, he didn't, he didn't walk on eggshells around that and he never right. said it was okay. Not once did he say it was okay. He said there was healing on the other side of it, mm-hmm. but he didn't say the sin was okay. You know, and he's also the one that made a, 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 a whip of cords and drove out the muddy changers from the temple because they were in sin and they were abusing others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we need to remember also the parable he told about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector coming to the, to the temple. It, you know, the, the Pharisee pridefully, which is a sin, by the way, comes before the most high and says, ah, thank you for not making me like this tax collector over here. Thank you for making me so much better than everybody else. Pride's a sin. Mm-hmm. He said the Pharisee did not go home justified, but the tax collector did because the tax collector beat his breast, he said, and looked, wouldn't even look up to heaven because he didn't consider himself worthy of looking up to the most high and said, have mercy on me, the sinner. He's portraying him in a state of repentance, grief-stricken and guilt-stricken over his sin. He said he went home justified, not because sin was okay, but because of his humility in the face of his sin, acknowledging that it was wrong and he needed help to change. That's the love of Jesus. That's the compassion of Jesus helping us to change, transforming us, helping us to walk his way and not our own way, helping us to purge from the things that are unholy and unclean. That's the love of Jesus. 
Yep. Not saying, oh, we can nod at your sin. It's okay. You can keep doing that. I don't care. Right. And and so in, in closing on on this line of thought, you use the word help, help, help. And that's what it brought, that's what it all comes back to is every little small thing that you think you have handled, you don't give it up because that's all the little small things that you were never designed to fight on your own. Even small, big, small, doesn't matter. You were never meant to fight on your own. Absolutely. With it, with that, with it. That's not even a real word. With the at. With the at. (laughs) I think we'll we'll have our break and then continue this discussion on the other side. This week, I want to play a song from a new band called the Exodus Road Band. And the song's called Church for Sale. Again, we'll continue this discussion on the other side of it and catch you then. Thanks. There's a steeple in the distance On this road I'm driving down It used to be a beacon in the middle of this town A place where you found shelter And learned a better way Lord knows we need that these days Now the parking lot is empty With a padlock on the gate While outside its empty walls The world's taught to hate Long gone are the sermons That taught us right from wrong Long gone is the worship and the song But the bars are open You can see the neon lights Where temporary comfort Can be found for the night It's a living hell as far as I can tell Meanwhile in the distance stands a sign That says church for sale On the corner Violence in our schools We've drowned out The good word With the evening We've forsaken all the good things That we once held dear Placing them With worry, doubt, and fear And the bars are open You can see the neon lights We're temporary comfort It says church for
And we are back again. That was Exodus Road Band with Church for Sale. Hope you enjoyed. So to kick off this half of the episode, I think I'm gonna we're gonna dig into an account in First Kings chapter 18. Okay. And I'd planned on doing this anyway, but the way our conversation in the top half went, it's it links directly to it. You'll see it when we read right it. It's on. pretty awesome. We'll read that, and then I'll I have some things to share, and we'll see how far we get. This conversation may be a two-parter. We may continue this conversation into next week because I don't okay. want to rush things. Right. I'd kind of planned on maybe doing that anyway because there's a lot. He's laid a lot on me that I want to share, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll see. It just may be the running theme of, of our episodes for the next few weeks. I don't know. You want to hit me with that again? First Kings 18. I was in First Kings 8. Sounds close. All right, I'm reading from the, uh, the NASB, New American Standard Bible. I may skip around. I don't know. We're not going to read the entire chapter. We're going to read up to chapter 21. Or not chapter, up to, <laughs> that'd be a lot. Ooh. Read up to verse 21, sorry. Okay. So for the background, this is the, the time of Elijah, the prophet. And Elijah primarily prophesied during the reign of Ahab, King Ahab of Israel and Jezebel, who turned Israel, they didn't turn Israel to idolatry, they'd already been there, but they brought some pretty vile forms of idolatry in, right. child sacrifice and, and you know, the priest of Baal, the Jezebel was having the prophets executed, things like that. They were, mm-hmm. they were awful. So Elijah was prophesying against them. In the context of 18, uh, through Elijah, God had brought a famine upon the land as a, as a metaphorical storm upon mm-hmm. the people is shaking. He's trying to get them to wake up, right. to acknowledge their sin and to return to him. And uh, often when we rebel, he brings a storm into our lives individually or collectively as a nation or even as, as a world. You know, at the end of days, you see him bring a storm upon the whole world. The purpose is always to get people to acknowledge him and return to him. In this case, it took the form of, again, a famine upon the land. There was no rain. And Elijah was told to go to King Ahab and tell him that there would be rain. But then there was more to it. This is what leads into the confrontation. We're not going to read that part of it, at least not this episode, but it leads to the famous confrontation between Elijah the prophet and the priests of Baal. Remember that? Mm-hmm. When you know they were both yeah. calling fire down from heaven. and yeah. yeah. So that's what this is leading to. That's not the part that I want to read. I want to read the part about uh, Obadiah, uh, an individual named Obadiah. So starting in verse 1, in verse 1 it says, Now it happened after many days that the word of Yahweh came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. I think that implies it was, the famine was everywhere. He wasn't just striking Samaria with the famine. That was the epicenter of it. Mm -hmm. But he was striking a lot of people, groups of famine during this period of time. Ahab called Obadiah who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared Yahweh greatly, for when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of Yahweh, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. I just want to pause there for a second. So what we're being told here is Obadiah was an official in the royal palace Mm -hmm. and obviously pretty trusted by Ahab, right? Because when Ahab's going out, as we'll see here in a minute, he calls Obadiah specifically. So he's somebody, Obadiah is somebody who had access to the king, which isn't something everybody had. 
right? That was sort of a rare thing. Right. It says it says here it says in mine that who was in charge of his palace. That's a better translation, probably. So yeah, he's a he's an official in the palace, a high ranking official in the palace. The reason that's important is because we're just told here that Jezebel was trying to execute the prophets of Yahweh, and her her bloody reign of terror wasn't just directed at prophets; it was anybody who feared Yahweh. But we're told Obadiah did, right? Not only did he fear Yahweh, he rescued prophets out of Jezebel's hand. Uh, if we were going to compare him to a more modern figure, I think I would compare him to Oscar Schindler. Mm. You ever watched Schindler's yep. List? Yep. So he he rescued, he he lived in Germany. He was a German, and he lived in Germany during the Holocaust. Uh, right. For those of you listening, if you don't happen to know who he is, I, I recommend looking him up. He was a fascinating individual. And he rescued uh, a lot of Jewish people. A lot of Jewish people he rescued out of the Holocaust. He had to kind of pick and choose who he rescued. It's just the sad nature of the circumstances to not get caught. I see. But it was as many as he could get. As many on. as he could possibly get. And he actually tormented himself. My understanding, he tormented himself for the rest of his life over the ones that he couldn't save. He had a good heart. The reason I compare this to Obadiah is because Oscar Schindler had to, he had to walk a very delicate balance to rescue Jews out of Nazi hands. To be in position to rescue them to begin with, he had to be in the good graces of, of high-ranking Nazi officials, which means he had to pretend to be a Nazi. Right. He had to. It was the nature of the calling that the Most High laid upon Schindler, and I believe it was a calling laid upon him with all my mm-hmm. heart. He had to pretend to be a Nazi. He had to smile at him, make jokes with him, give him fruit baskets, be kind to him, right? He had to get in their good graces in order to have access to the Jewish people he needed to rescue. That's, that's the face he had, the mask he had to wear, right? While behind the scenes, he's doing good work in rescuing Jews. So he had to pretend to be something he wasn't. He had to be a good person on the inside while pretending to be a monster on the outside. Right. That'd be awful. I think Obadiah is in a similar situation here. There's no way Obadiah could have worn his fear of Yahweh. His, a better translation, by the way, is reverence than, than fear. Usually when you see the fear of, of Yahweh or the fear of the Lord, it really means reverence. Right. The sort of reverence you would have of a father. Right. right. So I have the, the NIV version. Does it say reverence? It says uh, he was a devout believer in the Lord. Okay, that's a good translation too. But I think right. reverence of Yahweh reverence, is probably yeah. the best. Uh, to convey what's really meant there. But being in the palace with Ahab and Jezebel, he could not have worn that reverence on the surface. It's something Mm -hmm. he would have had to have kept hidden in his heart, put a mask on the outside. What's interesting about that, and the reason I highlight that, is because at no point do we get any indication in this text that Yahweh condemned him for that. Right. He he wasn't condemned for walking that tightrope. I believe God called him to this. God placed Obadiah in the position that he was in because it was only somebody willing to walk that tightrope that could have rescued those 100 prophets. Couldn't have been done by somebody that was really overt. Elijah wouldn't have been able to accomplish this in the, house, in the palace of right. Ahab and Jezebel because Elijah's calling was to wear that reverence on his sleeve for everybody to see. Right. That was his purpose and that had, a, that, that had its place. Obadiah had to, had to play a different game. Right. Then Elijah could play. He had, to, he had to sit at the table with Jezebel. Had to. Could you imagine? Being no, called to sit at the table with a monster like that, knowing in your heart that they're vile, they're evil, and you love the Most High and they hate them. But you right. have to sit there and put a smile on your face. That's, that's the, the road Obadiah was asked to walk. Mm-hmm. 
that'd be difficult. Right. But he was willing to and do the, it. And and to add to that, the only people that would know the good that you were doing is the most high and the people that you rescued. Yeah. Like it's not something that you, that at this point he figures he's going to get infamy for. He's yes. just doing it because he was called to do it. Yeah. And I love that you referenced that because that means that he wasn't doing it for credit. That's what you're talking about right. there. He's not, he's not doing good for the most high to get credit or to get accolades or to, to be cheered by a cheer squad. Cause he knows he's never going to experience that probably. Right. He's just doing it because he, he reveres the most high and the most high is laid it upon his heart that this is the right thing to do. And he's willing to risk life and limb and maybe the lives and limbs of his own family to do what's right. Just like Oscar Schindler did. Mm -hmm. So continuing on, we left off in verse five. Yep. Then Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we will find grass and keep the horses and mules alive and not have to kill some of the cattle. So they divided the land between them to survey it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. I'm going to stop there for a second because I think that's where the reason I wanted to highlight this passage is because we have an underlying theme here. And to me, the underlying theme is the fork in the road, mm -hmm. the spiritual fork in the road. Ahab went left, full bore. He went full bore to the left in the fork of the road toward evil, right? And we have that pictured in him. They're dividing the land. He goes one way, but the righteous Obadiah goes another way, right? When they come to the fork in the road, they go two different directions. They separate in two different ways. And obviously Obadiah followed the most high. I just want to highlight that for a second. And, and we'll make my point when we get to verse 21. But okay. I think we all have that fork in the road experience. As a people group or as individuals, we all have that experience. He brings us to that decision point, right? That, that the, the fork is the place of decision where you can choose whether to go left or right. right. He's calling you to go right, but you have the choice. And Ahab shows that you can choose to go left, even though God had called Ahab repeatedly and tried to prove himself to him. There's a couple of points where, where, where the Most High responds to Ahab's, Ahab's petition at one point to show that I am the Most High. I'm right. the one you should be following. I'm the one you should be worshiping. And he still chooses to go left. Even as evil as he was, he tried. God tried, I mean. Verse 7, now as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, is this you, Elijah, my master? I say he refers to Elijah as his master. Because right. he knows he's a prophet of the Most High. This is how much reverence he has. Right. And you'll see this contrasted with how Ahab refers to Elijah when he meets him in a minute. Verse eight, he said to him, it is I. Go, say to your master, meaning Ahab, behold, Elijah is here. Obadiah said, what sin have I committed that you are giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? As Yahweh your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master is not sent to search for you. And when they said he is not here, he made the kingdom or nation swear that they could not find you. And now you're saying, go say to your master, behold, Elijah is here. This is the interesting part, verse 12. It will come about when I leave you that the spirit of Yahweh will carry you where I do not know. So when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared Yahweh from my youth. I'm going to stop there for a second. Do you see why Obadiah is afraid? Mm -hmm. What I find awesome here, it's not... It's not that he's afraid that Elijah's going to send him back to Ahab to say Elijah's there, because Ahab would execute Obadiah. 
if he right. thought he was lying, right? Because Ahab wanted Elijah dead. It's not that he's afraid that Elijah is going to run away. He truly, from his heart, with all his heart, believes that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Yahweh, is going to miraculously teleport Elijah somewhere else so that Ahab can't get a hold of him. That's how much faith this guy had. Right. Even sitting in the palace of, of possibly the most evil power couple that's ever existed, even sitting in that environment for all that time, he still had so much faith and belief in the Most High that he with his whole heart believed that the Spirit of the Most High would carry Elijah somewhere else. That's awesome to me. Yeah. So his faith was not fake. He believed in the power. You referenced that in the top half, right? Right. right. Like when we get to that place where we sort of doubt his power, boy, Obadiah sure, sure didn't. Nope. And he had every reason to. He's in an environment of sin and rebellion, right? And it mm-hmm. seems like the Most High's, I, I would imagine there were times where it would be tempting to think the Most High's not doing anything about this, right? Yep. Why isn't he doing something? Why isn't he stopping this? Exactly. And then that's, I referenced that too. We always go back to, we tend to blame him mm-hmm. when, it's the, when it's the things that surround it that are not letting him in. Yeah. We have to immerse ourselves in his presence and in our belief in him, right? right. And there's a, and, and it fits in well here and then we'll continue reading, but there's a, there's a quote from Charles Spurgeon that's been on my mind a lot the last couple of weeks. And I'm probably going to butcher the quote, but essentially it says, even in those times when you can't trace the hand of God, you have to trust the heart of God. And I think that's what Obadiah is exhibiting here, that even when he can't, when he can't look at the circumstances he's in and specifically see the hand of God in it, he trusts God's heart. And he just knows that even when he can't see his hand, he knows it's there. Right. He knows it's there and he knows that the most high has a reason and a purpose and he surrenders to that. And that's, that's the road we should all be walking. This is what it looks like to walk to the right when we get to the fork in the road, to have that sort of faith that we're willing to do the very difficult things that the most high calls us to do without respect to our own safety and that we completely and totally trust him through it. That's what it looks like to be fully surrendered to that, that right hand path on the fork in the road. Right. That's what it looks like. Obadiah exhibits that perfectly here. Sorry. There you I noticed that my voice was kind of fading because yeah. I was doing this number. Right <laughs> <laughs> he leaned to the side to see, you know, yeah. cause I'm probably not going to edit that out either. I'm going to stop editing. Right gonna, we're going to put these up raw yeah. so you can see how that's the, the power of the new mic. So I'm going to keep talking. And as I do, I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to go away so they can see like, <laughs> like if I keep talking and I move away, then my voice goes away. But if I keep talking and I come back to the mic, my voice comes back. <laughs> so that's why I adjusted the mic to, to get, so I don't have to look around it to look at you or my Bible. So. It makes it hard to read. Yeah. Because our mics are underneath it. They're in my like field of view. Right. Kind of tough. Once we get like super high speed, we'll get like those like monitor things up. You right. know what I mean? They'll walk us through our, our bullet points and exactly right. what to say. Yeah. Here's my, <laughs> here's my monitor. Yeah. Right yeah. <laughs> Where'd I leave off? 13? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, 13. Yes, yes. Yep. And this is still Obadiah talking. He says, Has it not been told to my master what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of Yahweh, that I hid a hundred prophets of Yahweh by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water? I think he's I think he's asking Elijah if the most high told him that. Right. I don't think it's something that was well known, obviously, because right. it would have gotten back to Ahab and Jezebel. I think what he's saying is, Hasn't hasn't Yahweh told you what I've done? 
Yeah. Why are you trying to get me killed? Yeah. <laughs> what did I do wrong? Bro, you're going to get me killed. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're saying, go say, your, say to your master, behold, Elijah is here. He will then kill me. Elijah said, as Yahweh of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. So Obadiah trusted. Okay. So in that, in that sense, it wasn't, it wasn't, to me, he was, a. I kind of read this as Obadiah was afraid, not because of, of the, of the prophets they had hid, but that because the Lord was, would whisk, uh, Elijah away mm-hmm. that Ahab was thinking would, would think that Obadiah was lying to him and kill him. I think he was, yeah, he would, he would, he would be a, I think his fear was that Ahab would fly into a rage when right. Obadiah said, Hey, I found Elijah. And then they get there and he's gone. I gone. think he was afraid that Ahab would fly into a rage and have him executed. Right. Okay. Which, which I'm, I'm sure he has reason to believe that because he'd probably seen it as an official in the palace. He'd probably seen right. Ahab do things like this before. Well, he said, whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear that they could not find that they could not find you. But now you go and tell my master, say Elijah is here. So I, that's where he was saying, like, like he gets mad mm-hmm. when they say you're not here. Yeah. Right. And I, now you want me to go tell him like, basically like, you're telling me to go taunt him. Yes. To go say you're here and then you're going to disappear on me. He's going to get super mad. Yeah. Right. So, and he's probably somebody who is known for right. having an anger problem that burned out his brain. Right. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is this you, you troubler of Israel? You see the contrast between the left-hand path and the right-hand path here? Mm-hmm. Obadiah comes and says, calls him my master. Total faith. Ahab comes in arrogance, you troubler of Israel. Like, like Elijah was the problem here. And what he's doing is he's, he's blaming Elijah for the famine mm-hmm. because Elijah was the prophet that declared the famine. Right. Yahweh caused the famine. Elijah's just the one that came to tell him, hey, there's going to be a famine because of all your sin. Yeah. Right? But he's blaming Elijah for it yeah. and refusing to acknowledge that the famine came because of his sin. Right. It was because of the sin they brought into Israel that the famine kind of came. A- Shooting the messenger situation. Exactly. Yeah, I think there's a lot. Yahweh seems to enjoy contrasts. And it's it's maybe not so much that he enjoys it. They're teaching tools. Mm-hmm. Ahab and Jezebel had brought a famine of faith into the land. They had brought the famine of sin into Israel. Mm-hmm. So the judgment naturally was to bring a literal famine on the land, right? Right. If you want a spiritual famine, if you want to embrace your spiritual famine, here's a physical famine for you until you acknowledge your, your ways. Right. Or more so Yahweh saying, acknowledge my ways right? and repent of your ways is what he's trying to say. And in case you can't figure out the correlation, here's Elijah to tell you this is the correlation. Yeah, to spell it out. Yeah. Elijah said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of Yahweh and you have followed the Baals, the false gods. That's the first thing there is forsaken the commandments. Very first thing that he's, he's inspired by the Spirit to tell him is that you have forsaken my law. You've forsaken my statutes, my instructions, my expectations, and that's led you to follow after the Baals instead. 
And I think that's, that's a warning and a caution for us today. We right. talked a lot in the top half about idols. When we forsake the command, we, when, we, when we forsake his definition for what's holy, his definition for what's clean, his definition for what's right and wrong and what pleases him and how we should live our life, when we reject any part of that, e- even just little bits of it, fourth commandment, don't like that, don't like these commandments over here. When we start rejecting parts of it, we naturally incline ourselves to the opposite of the spectrum. If his commandments exist over here on the right-hand side of the spectrum, when we reject that in any way, we naturally begin to incline toward the left-hand side of the spectrum where Ahab found himself. Right. Right. So the, the one leads to the other. They didn't forsake the commandments because they turned to Baal. They turned to Baal because they forsake, they forsake the commandments. That's where it naturally led to. They found themselves naturally inclined toward Baal. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Spiritually speaking. Verse 19, now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So these were the, the, the two primary false gods that they worshipped. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we know historically that they set up a false temple in the northern kingdom of Israel, Samaria. Their capital wasn't Jerusalem. The northern right. kingdom was separate from Judah, so they didn't have Jerusalem or the Jerusalem temple to 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 forsake. So they they established a false temple. Jeroboam, I believe, did that. And they set up two golden calves. So they repeated that golden calf rebellion from Sinai. Right. right? So they made two golden calves that they brought incense and stuff to. Uh, I, I believe that sort of represents these two false gods. It's like a, a, a husband-wife combo. Yeah. Yeah. Type of thing. The Asherah was what they called the queen of heaven and Baal was just a placeholder title for their, their main false god, whether that was Moloch or whatever. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So it's not just the prophets there, it's also an audience. So you have an audience of citizens of Israel. I don't know who made up this audience, we're not told. Uh, But we know that these were just regular citizens of the northern kingdom of Israel, the people. So, So the groups represented, you have the king himself, who's led the people to sin. Now the people willingly allowed themselves to be led into sin, but he's the one that led them into sin, right? At the behest Mm -hmm. of his wife. You have the remnant represented by Elijah, the one who's gone full bore on that right-hand path in the fork in the road without looking back. And he he stands firm on the the name of the Most High and walks with them. And then you have the people. And then Elijah says this to the people, which defines them. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal follow him, but the people did not answer him a word. Another way to translate that is how long will you waver between two opinions? That's where we're going to stop. That's sort of what you led the conversation toward in the top half. That place of wavering. Right. I think when we come to the fork in the road, there there are three things three choices that we tend to primarily make. We have those outside of the, what we would call the church, the ecclesia, following Ahab to the left, chasing after their own way and forsaking the Most High entirely. You have a handful of individuals like Elijah and Obadiah who go full out to the right, who embrace what he says, right? Even forsaking their own ways, mm-hmm. even if that means being uncomfortable, 
being condescended by people you thought were brothers, being forsaken by, by the brethren, or even being martyred, right? right? They want to follow after the Most High. They want to follow after Jesus no matter what, no right. matter where that leads them, no matter what they have to give up in their own personal life to do it, they're going to follow him, and they're going to beg everyone they come across to follow him too. But then you have the vast majority of those inside the church that I think Elijah defines right here in verse 21, wavering, hesitating between two opinions. And they're stuck there. They're stuck there. They're like that woman you talked about on, on Hoarders. They like, to, they like to give lip service to the name, right? They sing real loud at all the songs. They check all the boxes. They show up every Sunday. They do the stuff that tradition and theology tells them to do. But when it comes to the things that the Most High says to do, they forsake that. They forsake the commandments. And where does that naturally incline you? Even when you're given lip service, it inclines you to the opposite end of the spectrum, toward the left. Mm -hmm. So they find themselves hovering instead of going left after Ahab because they, they have enough faith to know that's wrong. But they also don't have enough commitment to follow the conviction to go right. So they try to forge their own path in the middle where there is no path. And that doesn't work. It just leaves them standing still, not really right. making progress, right. wavering. I think that's where the bulk of us tend to, tend, to, tend to align ourselves. I've been there, probably been there recently. We've got to get past that, though. Right. We've got to get past that. And that kind of brings me to what I wanted to, to share, if we have time. Yeah, I think we have time. So again, I went on vacation recently and I thought it was going to be a total break, but really it was his way of showing me that you deluded yourself into believing you were following me to the right, but you really weren't. You were trying to forge mm -hmm. your own path in the middle. And he brought me to a standstill to acknowledge where I needed to be. So really this vacation was more like a pilgrimage for me, spiritually speaking. He was very loud. I think he got me to a place where like you see later with Elijah, if you continue reading that account after he kills the priest of Baal, he, you know, long story short, Yahweh wins. <laughs> right. Baal doesn't answer because he's spoiler not a real alert. God. Yes, yeah, spoiler alert, most high wins, rains down fire, and, and the people stop wavering because they see a miracle and uh, kill the priest of Baal. But then Elijah gets kind of depressed, depressed, gets to a play. We, Steph and I kind of laughed, my wife and I kind of laughed about it. Actually, we were talking about that account. A little bit of a side note. But Obadiah had just told him there were 100 other prophets at least, right? Because he mm -hmm. rescued 100 prophets. Obadiah right. had just told him that. So we're talking about the span of a few days here, probably. There's no way Elijah forgot that. Right. And then <laughs> right after this whole event, he gets depressed and he complains to Yahweh, I'm the only prophet left. There's nobody else but me. I'm all alone, God, and I can't take it anymore. <laughs> he just been, dude, you were just told Obadiah, you just met Obadiah, by the way. Right. Maybe he wasn't a prophet, yeah, but he was, he was a servant of the Most High. And he just told you that he, were, he, he, he rescued 100 of your peers. Right. But I think that, I say it jokingly, but I think there's, there's a danger there. We get, it's so easy to feel alone even when we're not. Right. When, when, when we, and, and, and the way the Most High responds to Elijah is very compassionate, very loving, very understanding. It doesn't chastise Elijah about, oh, but I just told you there are a hundred. Stop it. He does remind him there are other prophets, mm -hmm. but he does it in a very loving way. And he's very, I, I think 
what it is, is, is the most high asked a very difficult task of Elijah. Everybody has a breaking point. Right. And I think Elijah, by necessity, somebody had to do it, but I think Elijah came to that breaking point. Mm -hmm. And I think the most high recognized that. And as a father watching his son break, he couldn't take it anymore. Right. So he took Elijah out. Yeah. Again, there's difference in the approach. Mm -hmm. He approached him with earnest, not, you know, not in a spiteful way, but in earnest. Exactly. I feel like I'm the only one left. What do I do? Yeah. 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 The most high loved him. Yeah. You know, the, yes, the, the complaint maybe wasn't totally valid, but the emotion, what am I trying to say? The father didn't invalidate his feeling. There you go. Even though it wasn't totally valid to feel that way, the, the father didn't respond by invalidating the feeling itself right. because it existed. It was still a feeling. It was there. Yeah. The environment that he had been forced to immerse himself in to be that prophet that was needed at that time caused him to feel that way. Right. And the most high had compassion for that. And we've, we actually have talked about that on the show where just because you feel that a feeling in another person's unwarranted doesn't negate the feeling. It doesn't negate the the fact that that person had that feeling. Yes. So you can't validate it. No, you can't. I've been guilty of doing that to people. Like, yeah, you got it's no not fair. To complain. Mm -hmm. Oh, you, you don't know. You're not walking their road. Yeah. You're not in their shoes. And I think too often we, we expect people to understand our road that we're walking, but we refuse to, to try to understand the other person's. Mm -hmm. And I'm guilty of that. And I need to do some repentance on that. Right. I'm, I'll be open and honest about that. But sorry, that was a little bit yeah. of a sidetrack. Yeah, but I didn't help it any. I kept, I kept you going. So getting back to the trip, like I say, it was, it was almost like a pilgrimage because he got me to that place like he got Elijah. That's, that, that's where I was going. I didn't even get far enough to get where I was going to begin with. I got so sidetracked. The, the point of that, he brings Elijah to a cave, right? Because he has mm -hmm. compassion on the feeling that he has. And he brings him to a place where he can drown out all the noise. He takes him out of that loud environment and gets him to a place where everything's quiet. And then speaks to him with that still small voice. That's where that phrase comes from, right. is the still small voice. But he had to get Elijah to a place of quiet. And I think that's what he was doing with me with this trip. I think I'd, I was allowing the noise to drown out his voice. Right. Right. I was still kind of hearing him, but I was getting sidetracked because I was letting his voice get drowned out. So it was his way of bringing me to a place where I could hear him again. And the, really the first thing that, that got my attention, that he had something for me. And I know this, this, this is going to get spiritual. Uh, if that's not your bag, maybe you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. I don't know. I believe that God is active. I believe that he does miracles. I believe he speaks to us. And I believe he, he, he does so in a way that he wants us to share yeah. with one another. If you don't believe yeah. in that, if you don't believe in his active, active nature, if you don't believe in his power, uh, fix that. Because he's there. He's there. Whether you're drowning his voice out or not, it's there. All right. But the first thing that really got my attention was before we left. So we're, our destination point was Yellowstone. So mm -hmm. for those of you listening, we live in Missouri. So the elevation is much different. It's much higher elevation there. And those of you that travel know that when you, when you travel from a low altitude to a higher altitude, your ears pop. Yep. It's pretty uncomfortable with ears pop. It's really bizarre. But the day we left Missouri, the day we left Missouri, mm -hmm. my ears started popping like we were already at higher altitude. I don't know okay. how to explain it. It was bizarre. 
but my ears started popping real bad and I've traveled before. So I knew what the feeling was. It was just like there was a pressure change and your ears were popping. Right. But when we got to Yellowstone, the higher altitude, I didn't experience any of that. I experienced it the day we left before we actually took off on our trip and then didn't mm -hmm. experience it again, either there or back. It was bizarre. It really got my attention though. Like, man, that's weird. Right. This, there's, what am I supposed to get out of this? Right. First couple of days is just driving. And it pressed me really heavily the amount of idolatry I was seeing on the way. Stunning. The amount mm -hmm. of idolatry that just covers our nation is chilling. I'm not going to go through every example. And just to clarify, when I, when I share what, what he laid on me, I'm not going to give every individual confirmation. There was a lot. I, I'll just ask you to trust that there was a lot of confirmation yeah. and it would take a much longer episode to get into all of it. Yeah. How often? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say it's everywhere. It is. It's all over every piece of marketing material you see. The idolatry, every, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Every billboard, every, every logo. Mm -hmm. There's always, if you've researched it enough, nine times out of 10, there's some turn towards idolatry. Yeah. There's some sort of occult image or new mm. age image or something like that. And you know, I was aware of this, but for some reason I was pressed about it on the drive. And just, as, you know, I'll, I'll give just a couple examples. When we passed through Sioux City, uh, they actually set up an obelisk on the side of the highway. An obelisk is uh, like the Washington Monument. Mm -hmm. What that actually is, is a recreation of an Egyptian idol. It's like right. when you see Asherah pole, it's an obelisk, right? It's an idol. Right. It's 100% an idol. There's no way to present that as anything other than what it is. Everybody that does five minutes of research knows an obelisk is an idol. It mm -hmm. always has been. It always will be. It's an abomination. They had one set up on the highway with the spotlights on it to make sure you could see it at night. Right. Like in reverence. Right. Like they had this thing set up like it was in a place of reverence. Right on the side of the highway. I was the first thing I noticed. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I just couldn't, sorry, I couldn't get it out of my head. Mm -hmm. He just pressed me with it. We come to a place called Columbus, Montana, I think is where we were at. Maybe South Dakota. One of those two states. I don't know. It's a tiny little blink and you miss a town. We were hungry and we stopped to eat at a subway. And I got out of the vehicle and noticed the, the, the store next to the subway was an occult shop. Like one of those like places where you go for like tarot readings and garbage right. like that. Yeah. I've seen that stuff before. We have one here in town. And it bothers me here too. But this one, they actually had a cross in the window. So what they did, it, it was like a Christian themed occult shop. I kid you not, they put a cross up, but the cross was to advertise like these, these, this spiritist, uh, rock healing things. Yeah. Like really pagan stuff, mm -hmm. but it was mixed in a Christian theme. Yep. I'm like, you kidding me? So we're not just it's, looking, go ahead. It's oddly funny that you run into mixing a Christian theme into a cult at the same time that I do on Two, yeah. different, two different genres. I didn't even think about two that connection. Two, you know, we're separated by miles. Yeah. But we still kind of make that same connection of, huh. Yeah, because this happened within seem, the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. Yeah, all the, all, that story I told happened within the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. as a side note, there's an awakening. You know, that tattoo artist you mentioned, there's an awakening. There are people who were listening. Yeah. He's talking. There are a handful of people that are listening that are, that are like, I've got to get right with him. I've mm -hmm. got to forsake this evil. I can't, I can't listen to my pastor saying it's okay anymore. I've right. got to do what the father says. There are, there are a handful of people out there. They're, they're there. There is a remnant. 
and there is an awakening. My fear is for those who aren't listening or plugging their ears. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones I'm trying to get, get through to, really. Right. So I see this. Uh, and I guess the other big example would be probably Bozeman, Montana. And that was really why I chose that song that you listened to, Church for Sale, by Exodus Road Band. Because that's what I thought of when I drove through Bozeman. So if, it, during daytime, it was fine. It seemed like a, a, you know, a, a normal little town. It's like a college town. There's no town in Montana that's big, really, but it's probably one of the bigger ones. But there's a college there, and they had a neat downtown shopping district. And there was a bookstore there that I wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go to a bookstore. I'm big on, like, when I travel, I want, like, local books. Weird. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Especially now that I have to refill my bookshelf since I had to throw so much away. Yeah. <laughs> Referencing what we talked about <laughs> earlier. But, uh, so I saw a bookstore down there and I like, I want to go there. My mom's the same way. So we decided to do some shopping while we were down there. Every shop, they had this like coalition of shopkeepers, I guess. And they all put these like posters up in their windows, promoting these really anti-Christian pro-abortion agendas. Like all these shops down there, like making this like affirmation that, you know, you know, this is who we are and this is what we support. And if you don't like this, you're not welcome. And I'm like, okay, I'm not buying nothing down here then. I'm not supporting that. Right. My mic's cutting out. That's okay. Hang on just a second. Yeah. I'm worried it's going to fall. It's all right. Maybe I should move closer to it so it's not. I keep saying, I keep saying the, it's almost like the table is bowing with it, but I can't tell if it's the stand or the. I can't tell. I think it's the stand because this thing's coming off. Oh, okay. I have to work on that later. Sorry, I don't want it to fall in the middle. I'll have to get some, like a C-clamp or something to shore that up with. Yeah, that'd probably be best. All right. What I say? Or if you'd like to sponsor us, a new table. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Since he said that, I won't cut all this out. What I was doing in the past couple of seconds was adjusting the clamp because our new microphones are heavy. Oh, I didn't think you were going to cut it out. Oh, no. Oh. Well, I'm not now. Oh, my bad. No, that's good. <laughs> they, I, I said they were going to see us raw, so here we are. But anyway, so what was I talking? I was we were in Bozeman. So oh, yeah, so yeah. I see all these signs, and I'm like, I'm not going to shop at these places. So we come to this bookstore that I wanted to go to, and they had it on too, except they had a bunch of like pride, pride stuff all over the windows and everything. Also, I'm like, oh grief. So I walk in, and I'll give it a chance, right? They're the only ones. I'm not going to get into that part because that's that's opening a can of worms. I already said it. Now I have to. They were the only shopkeepers masked up, and kind of glaring at you for walking in without a mask on. Right. And I'm like, oh, this is. Strike one, actually right. strike two, two because I'd already seen yeah. the posters and I didn't like that. So we're at strike two already. I walk in, very first book I see that they put on prominent display was how to get an abortion in a post Roe v. Wade world, like a blueprint on how to butcher your baby illegally, or or go somewhere where you can where you can right do it on your and you know I, I'll be blunt about that. I don't care if you don't like it, then stop listening to the podcast. That, that's that's evil. One of the great evils of our day is baby killing. And the connection is that's exactly the sin that Ahab and Jezebel brought into Israel. What differentiated Ahab and Jezebel was not the idolatry. Jeroboam brought the idolatry. It was already there. The people were already forsaking the commandments. They were already idolatrous. What really differentiated them was the method of the idolatry, which Mm -hmm. involved child sacrifice. It was kid killing. And he hated it, absolutely hated that. Right. And I don't care how much you 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 cover it up with, you know, 
calling it healthcare or or putting a mask of science over it, it's still just baby killing. Right. And it's still an abomination. Absolutely. And he still sees it the same way. So I see this and I'm like, my goodness. Like I'm being hit heavy with this. I see all this idolatry, just like ancient Israel. I saw I see all this Baal worship and Asherah worship in this form of these obelisks, right? I see people trying to mix the true faith with it put his name on it. Because remember, the people of Israel still gave reverence to the name of Yahweh. They just didn't like his ways. Right. We see that picture in the way Elijah talked to the people. They were hesitating. They were wavering right. between two opinions because they gave the most high lip service. Right. But they were still engaging in pagan practices. Right. They want the they want the the reward, but they don't want to put in the work. Absolutely. Like, you know, they want the power of the name without revering the name. Exactly. So we left that town, <laughs> stop shop. Right. We went ahead and left, but it was it was sort of on our way back and forth where we were located. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had to pass through it a couple of times. What I'm saying, we happened to drive through Bozeman again at night, and that's where really like just the immorality of it. It didn't surprise me, but it he used it to press me. Right, I think with with I think he's honestly I think he's trying to show us why judgment's coming. That when it comes, there's a reason. Right. It doesn't come out of the clear blue sky for no good reason. You know, he brought famine onto Israel. It wasn't because Elijah was a troubler of Israel. It was because of their sin they they, they refused to repent of. Right. And America is no different. That's kind of what I saw. But anyway, so we drive back through at night and we, I needed to, I had to pee. Just be blunt. I needed to find a bathroom real bad. Right. So we're driving through and we're stopping at gas stations and stuff, trying to find, there was not a single gas station in this entire town that was open. I've never seen anything like that. Even the gas stations that I know the chains around here are 24 hour. There wasn't a single 24 hour gas station anywhere. Wow. Then we started kind of paying attention. Nothing's open. This town, it was like a Saturday night. Mm -hmm. It was after the Sabbath, I think. No, 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 no. It would have been before. It would have been during the week, but it was, maybe it was a Thursday night. I don't know. It was a party night. It was one of those nights that's a typical party night right. for, for, for people. Anyway, nothing was open. I see this, this weird flickering light, this flashing light. This is what, what brought my mind to that song, Church for Sale. Okay, this was the event that sort of, sort of brought that to my attention. I see this flickering light, and Steph and I both know, it's like, what's going on over there? Is there like a rave or something happening? We drive by it, and it's a church in town, and the light's like literally flickering and burning out. The only light I see like this, and it's burning out, and the very th next thing we notice, we're driving down, there is a bar or a nightclub every block. Full. 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 We probably drove by 20, and I'm not exaggerating. Every single bar nightclub was open. The only thing in town that we saw that was open were, were all the bars and nightclubs completely full. To the brim. It's like the town shut down to make sure everybody could go to the bar and drink their cares away and sin with each other. It's just, it was like Nineveh, right? right. Our, our nation is covered in sin, covered in sin and idolatry mm -hmm. and hatred of the things of God, Right, total hatred. So that's what he pressed me with. And then we came to our, our destiny. We were actually headed toward a place called Gardner, Montana. And it was supposed to be like this perfect little spot because it's on the north 
gate. It's the north gate of Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. So we were supposed to have like a two minute drive into the park because of the flooding that recently hit. It's the only gate, the only gate that the infrastructure was wiped out and they had to close down. Oh, man. So our two minute drive into Yellowstone turned into a three hour daily drive back and forth to the west gate. So the only way we could get in was go to the west gate. But Gardner was cool. We had this like overlook and this is where he really, he really talked to me a lot. We had this cabin that overlooked the, uh, uh, I don't think it's, maybe it's the Yellowstone river. I think it is the Yellowstone river that it overlooked. And they had this like light up cross up on the hill. There's like a cliff side mm-hmm. over the town. It's a tiny little town it swells during tourist season, but there's probably only a couple of hundred people maybe that live there normally, right? right? Actual residents. But there's this like cliff side and they have this, cross i didn't notice it until night but they've got a generator on it so it lights up all night long and there's no light pollution there so it gets completely dark and this cross looked literally like it was floating in the sky it was so cool so it's kind of a neat like after after he hit me with all that idolatry that we drove by it was like this place of refuge almost you know Hmm. what i mean right on right on a river you know what i mean with that imagery of the of the river of life you know and i don't know it was just nice but trying to decide what i should share how I should share. Like I say, I'm not going to share every single confirmation he hit. I should probably just share the main, the main right. thing. That to me seems like pretty fitting. You know, you've seen all of this in the world. You've seen all of this, but in the stillness away from it all, I'm still here. Yes. It's that. Yes. It's almost like your still small voice was right there saying, I'm still here. Yeah. I haven't don't, given don't, up. Don't let your, Heart be troubled with what's there. I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not given up. Uh, the methods for reaching us are going to get more severe, but he hasn't given up. So the whole time we're, we're in Yellowstone, for some reason, the same word kept hitting me. Desolation. That word just, it, it was in my soul. Desolation. 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 For those of you that don't know, Yellowstone's a massive supervolcano anyway. I'm not saying that's how what you know, judgment's coming, but if he wanted to severely judge America, lighten that thing off would do it. But I couldn't get that word out of my mind. Every time I would turn, like I had that heavy on me, I would randomly open my Bible and it'd be a passage about desolation over idolatry, desolation over sin. Every time, man, it was, I, I got, I've got them written down, but like I say, maybe we'll go through all that in another episode. Right. But every time he hit me with something like that, I wrote it down. So that's what, that was on me. And then we, uh, we only spent a couple of days in Yellowstone with that drive. So we, we drive there and back a day and then we'd sort of have a rest day. And then we ended up driving back through Custer mm-hmm. state park in South Dakota. That was how we ended. It was a, it was a close to a two week trip. Mm-hmm. So the last half of it, which would have been this last week at the time of recording, we were in Custer and this is when he really hit me with what I wanted to share, what I really agonized and whether I should share. And he made it pretty clear that I'm supposed to. So we, I was sitting, uh, I think it was July 24th. I was sitting at our cabin in Gardner before we left. And I watched these storm clouds form. There's like a mountain, a small mountain, uh, just over the river. So I'm, I'm sitting there on this back deck overlooking the river. And just beyond that, beyond the town is a mountain. And I watched these storm clouds form over this mountain, nowhere else. Everything else is completely clear. And that's not unusual. That happens a lot. But for some reason, I just took note of it. Right. And these storm clouds form. And then you just see them dissipate. And he hit me with the phrase, a storm is coming. A storm is coming. 
I'm like, okay. I got some conf- little little minor confirmations from things I was reading. I'm like, that's, uh, I don't know. I need confirmation on that. I need something major to happen because that's a big thing to tell me. And I, I need more. The next day, it was either the next day or the following, I believe it was the next day. We're driving back toward Hot Springs. That's where we were going to stay a couple days. Um, yeah, we were driving to Hot Springs, so it was the next day. So we were driving there because we had a different cabin in right. Hot Springs for our two-day stay in Custer National Park because it's right on the edge of it. And I'm asking for this confirmation, right? I'd asked, I'd, I'd prayed for it the night before, and I'm still, I still have it on my mind. We drive into a, we're driving into a storm. You can see this storm that we're driving into, and I got real heavy. Like it felt like, it felt like my heart was being squeezed. I don't know how else to describe it. And that happens a lot when, when I get some sort of confirmation from him or something he lays on me. That's often how it starts, right? It'll, it, he'll press me in some way that'll lead me to open in my Bible. And then there's something that's like a direct confirmation. You know what I mean? Something will happen like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at this storm and that phrase hits me again. A storm is coming. A storm is coming. As soon as we drive into it and the rain starts hitting our vehicle, our vehicle goes haywire. Haywire. The computer goes nuts. All of the, the systems shut down like the computerized systems, and it goes into limp mode. Now, the way limp mode is supposed to work is it, it keeps you at between, I believe, two and 3,000 RPM, so roughly you can't get above 50 or 60 miles per hour. It's named that because it's, it's limp home mode. There's something wrong with the engine, and it's or to... limp to the side of the road to yeah, get it off the road. Yeah, the, the, the purpose of it is to, so that you can get it to a mechanic but it, it doesn't allow you to overtax the engine and cause more damage. Right. But it didn't work right. When, when it hit us that day, we couldn't get above like one or two miles per hour. Not 50 or 60, one or two miles per hour. It brought us to a complete standstill. A total standstill. And something told me there's something to this. And I'm like racking my brain like, what does this mean? Because it feels like this is the case. As soon as we hit that storm, as soon as we hit the raindrops in that storm, this happened. Mm. Right? And uh, we tried to we tried to limp up to get to a gas station. It couldn't even get up the hills. We had to back up and just sit. And my my parents are they're the ones driving, right? We're just sort of passengers for all this because it was a rental vehicle. Anyway, they're frantically trying to call like Enterprise to to get a tow or something like that. And we're stranded for like forty five minutes or an hour. Steph prays, right? And as soon as she prays, everything come back up again. Lent mode went away and it was over. It was bizarre. Uh, you know, my stepdad was convinced it was something about water getting into it. I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. I think there was more to it. Sure enough, we drive through an even worse storm later. You know, that, that, that should, if it was water causing the issue, should have caused it to happen right. again. Nothing. Nothing. Doesn't happen again. So I have that like rolling around my, my brain. Like, what is the, what does that mean? I'm like, that's, it's not enough. God, I need more confirmation. <laughs> I need something else to happen. <laughs> or, if you don't know, we're pretty hard headed here. A little bit. Yeah. Especially something like that. <clears throat> so I'm like, I need more confirmation. So, so I, I want to make sure that I'm understanding this correctly. Right. Go to bed that night, wake up the next day. The night before record breaking storms and flooding hit our home state of Missouri. 
yep. flooded St. Louis completely out. Yep. That was the night that I prayed for additional confirmation. Not saying that I caused it, like, don't misunderstand me, but he lines up timing. Right. Right. The way I found out about it was my mom was talking to my grandpa who was telling her about all this record flooding and her cousin lives in a nearby town to us. And she was like, yeah, we got like three inches in 30 minutes. Yeah. It was unlike anything they had ever seen before. I'm like, I'm kind of afraid to ask for confirmation again. (laughs) Right. Right. Something's coming. A storm is coming. The same time, the number 40 keeps coming up over and over and over again. I'm still not certain. I'm 100%, 110% convinced a storm is coming in. I'll get into the purpose of it mm-hmm. in a second. I have my feelings about what it's going to look like based upon some other things he's been hitting me with that I'm not right. really ready to share yet. Right? Could it be famine like it was in Israel? Maybe. Uh, you know, war, natural disaster, earthquake. I don't know. Combination, something different. I don't know. Something's coming. Something's coming. And I believe it's coming soon. And the reason I believe that is based upon that, that the 40 that kept coming up. We may talk about it next week. Let's just say I have my eyes on the biblical month of Elul this year, Mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, Which is, we've talked about before. Maybe we'll talk about that again. The, The time when it says the king is in the field. Yep. Time of harvest leading up to the day of atonement. Which that might be a part of an episode that we don't have anymore. Probably. So we probably should have another discussion on that anyway, yeah. because that starts in September. Yeah, I'm, actually, I'm pretty sure that that was before our our name change. So that, that episode is probably not well, we'll, available anymore. We'll plan on having a discussion about that, because at the very least, I believe, I'm not date setting, but I am saying I think that the prophetic imagery of Alul can inform us as to why the storm is coming. If it's not the timing of it, I think it's an, an an explanation of the reason for it. If that makes sense. But I believe it all connects back to sort of what we talked about in the top half. We're mixing. He's brought us already. We've already been at the fork in the road. We've been at the fork in the road for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of us have gone left with Ahab. And a lot of us are wavering between two opinions, trying to forge our own path and being led by a lot of bad shepherds to do that. And only a few seem to be following after Elijah and Obadiah, telling others to do the same. And that's what I believe he was pressing me about the storm and the purpose behind it. When you have a mass group of people who are either going the wrong direction or trying to make their own direction and they won't listen to you because his voice has been loud, we're just drowning it out. When you refuse to listen, the only way to get those people's attention or our attention or my attention is to bring a storm to cause us to come to a crashing halt, to put us into limp mode, to make us stop in our tracks and force us to hear what he's telling us. It's almost like he's given us a second chance at the fork in the road. Yeah. He brought us there peacefully once. And we made some really bad choices in the direction we went. And the storm, it's almost like it represents a louder, more uncomfortable way to get our attention and bring us to another fork in the road. What are we going to choose this time? 
Are we going to choose to go off to the right? Keep forging our own way. Keep walking in the opposite direction. To me, that's the point. Right. Have you ever done any kind of like word study? I'll, you know, I'll, cl- I'll close this out with this. I'll let you. Do you have any final thoughts no. first? No, I'm good. I say, we'll, we'll continue this discussion next week. Uh, I, I've shared what he laid on me, and maybe next week we'll just have a back-and-forth discussion about what we feel. Because I'll be honest with you, I, I'm not 100% what it all means. Right. But I know he hit me with it hard, and I know he brought me to Ezekiel 33 repeatedly after he did, which is the real famous warning to Ezekiel that he gives that when I give you a warning, you have to share it. If they mm-hmm. choose to ignore it, that's not on you. Right. But if you choose to withhold it, it is on you. Mm-hmm. So I feel hard pressed to share it. I don't think the warning was just for me. Oaks are interesting in scripture. The only reason I looked this up, this is kind of funny. I watched the movie Tombstone while we were on vacation. Okay. Okay. There's a scene in Tombstone, you know the movie well, but there's a scene in Tombstone where they're at the bar and uh, Wyatt Earp likes that actress that comes into town mm-hmm. and doc holiday is sort of playing with him a little bit about chasing after her right white Earp's married and he's like no i won't do that and he's like well you're gonna get your chance to prove me right or wrong because right. she walks in in the scene white Earp turns his back to her and then she walks away and doc holiday goes uh, i can't remember exactly how he words it but he goes you are an oak I stand corrected. That's sir. it. Sir, you are an oak. Oh, thank you. That was good. Man, that was good. You know that movie really well. Sometimes too well, I think. Probably. I love the movie. I'm going to yeah. be honest. But for some reason, that really stuck with me. You are an oak, mm-hmm. right? What does that mean? It obviously, you know, it means you're, you're steadfast. Right. You're immovable is essentially what it means. Something told me it mattered. It was important. But I sort of brushed it off. I'm like, it's just a movie. It's just a, it's, too, it's not even a religious movie. You know what I mean? So I sort of brushed it off. The next day I turned straight to the account that I mentioned with Absalom. Mm-hmm. The next day I turned to that. And it was specifically the chapter of Absalom's death. I referenced that at the top half of the episode. I forget the verse, but it says something really interesting. So the way Absalom was caught and ultimately killed is he was he was riding away from the battle the battle went bad for him and he was riding away from the battlefield frantically and it says that he got caught in the branches of an oak tree an oak tree literally caught him and he got stuck he couldn't get out and it says it's an interesting phrase it says that he was instead of just saying he got caught in an oak tree it very poetically says absalom was hanging there in the branches of the oak between heaven and earth he was hanging between heaven and earth. That was that connection that I said that I was going to make, that mm-hmm. statement you made in the top half of the episode. Choosing the, you know, the thing, I can't remember how you said it, but something about, you know, choosing the way of heaven or the way of earth. Right. I'd already decided to talk about this when you said that. And that stuck with me. I turned right to them like, there's the oak again. And he's hanging between heaven and earth. What does that mean? And then I turned right to I think it was later that day, I turned right to Ezekiel chapter 6. And in the context of Ezekiel chapter 6, he's chastising the people for their rebellion, for their idolatry, and for mixing, for wavering between two opinions and refusing to repent. Right. Right. Same sin as the people 
were engaged in that Elijah was dealing with. And he's describing their sin and the storm that's coming to him for it. And in Ezekiel chapter 5 and 6 and, and 4 also, the storm takes the form of a famine. He, he, the, he uses the phrase, I will break your staff of bread, is what he says. Mm-hmm. But when he's describing their sin, he says that they, they brought all of their, they, they defiled themselves at every green tree and at every leafy oak. So oak is like a symbol there of their sin because they brought their sin to the oak. Right. Right. It was a place of idol worship. Side note, Ezekiel chapter six also says, he tells them that your adulterous hearts that strayed from me hurt me. He actually says that. The most high says that their sin hurt him. It's the only place that I'm aware of that the most high creator of heaven and earth actually says that when we rebel against him and refuse to repent, it physically and emotionally hurts him. Think about that for a second. When we refuse to acknowledge him and obey him, he says it physically hurts him. Right. If that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. If you, if you claim to love him and you have no regard for the fact that your rebellion and your sin hurts him, you don't really love him. Right. Then I turn to Isaiah 61, I think. I'll verify that and I'll, I'll, I'll read this out next week to be sure. But in Isaiah, he's describing those who take the right-hand path and the fork in the road, right? right? Ezekiel 6 is describing those who either go left or try to forge their own path. It says they're sinning mm-hmm. at every oak. Oaks a symbol of their sin. But then Isaiah describes those who go right, and he says that you will stand as oaks of righteousness. And I think that the oak tree represents that decision point. When you come to that fork in the road, it's like the oak stands as a symbol of the decision, and you can go either way. You can stand by the oak in sin, or you can stand by the oak in righteousness. But you have to make a choice. And I think what he's telling us, and I think it's symbolized there with Absalom. I think that's the, the symbol there, we, that poetic phrase, hanging between heaven and earth. When you come to the oak, it's a place of decision. Which direction are you going to go? Are you going to do the things of heaven or the things of earth? And he lets you choose. Right. And the scary thing is, it seems like it also represents being immovable. And whatever decision you make, you're so stubborn and so hard-hearted and so stiff-necked that you're immovable in it. Didn't pick up my voice there, that you're immovable yeah, in weird. it. That was like, weird. It like dropped your mic for a minute. Yeah. I'll have to work <clears> on the settings. <throat> it's probably a setting issue, but I'll just say that again. It's like you're immovable in it. Right. Like those who choose to stand by the oak and sin refuse to waver away from that. They refuse to repent. They are immovable in their sin. Which I would 100% agree with. And those who stand as oaks of righteousness are immovable in their righteousness. They refuse. Once they've tasted of, of being in a relationship with the Most High, they refuse to deviate. They may stumble. There are times where they'll fail, but they won't forsake him. There's a difference. There's right. a difference between failing and forsaking. But too many in the churches are trying to strike a balance between. They're trying to find a way that's an easier path Mm -hmm. that lets them 
feel like they're just failing a lot, but not really forsaking him, but sort of they're just looking for excuses to continue in sin. That's a problem. Right. And that's a decision that we're making, and we have to deviate away from that. And to round it back, I think that's the purpose of the storm. When you have a group of people like I believe we have in America now, inside and outside the church, who are not choosing his way, his path, the only choice he has is to bring a storm to get our attention. And I fear for what happens next if we continue going left. I fear for that. There's no reason to wait, though. Yes, I believe a storm's coming. Yes, I believe it's soon. Yes, I believe it'll be severe. No reason to wait. If you can honestly identify that you're standing at the oak and you're not making a good choice, change it now. He's right there. Open arms, right there. And he'll accept us, but it's a big if. It's another one of those if-thens, right? Right. You want to close this in a joke or something? I got real heavy. Mm. Anything good? Mm. Man, I have one. I can't remember. Now you put me on the spot, I can't remember it. Oh, man, I'm sad. Because I think I've already told the one the one that popped straight in my head. I think I've already told. <sighs> no, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. You. Maybe we're supposed to stay it's the, somber. It's the, it's the, it's the buildup for next week. Fair enough. I don't want to leave this hopeless. Right. This isn't a hopeless message. It's not a hopeless warning. It's an urgent one. It is an urgent warning. I felt the urgency, felt it deeply, but it's not hopeless. He loves us so much, so much. Disobedience doesn't hurt you unless you love the person disobeying you. Anybody that's a parent knows that. Right. Anybody that's a parent knows that. I know I feel that sometimes with like my oldest. She's hit teenage years. She's a girl anyway. Girls are tough. Don't hate me for saying that, women listeners. It's the truth and you know it. Yeah. What I got forward look to look forward (laughs) to. She's rebellious at times. And there are times that she'll give that look. They just cut you like a knife. Right? Like she's just disgusted with you Mm -hmm. as her parent and it hurts the only reason it hurts though is because i love her so much right it's the only reason if i didn't love her i wouldn't i wouldn't feel a thing and you almost think if you only knew you only knew you only knew i think when we willfully disobey him it's like us giving him that look that look like I don't care what you think. You're dumb. You don't know best. And I'm going to do things my way, whether you like it or not. Right. And we give him that defiant look. And it hurts him. Yep. But it only hurts him because he loves us so deeply. But he's also holy. Right? Right. He loves and he's merciful and he's gracious, but he's also holy. We have to acknowledge that he has rules for a reason. And he loves us and he'll accept us and he'll welcome us back, but we have got to forsake our ways and embrace his ways. We've got to. Yep. That's the hope. 
and we're not earning our way. We're embracing him. It's his mercy and grace that saves us, that rescues us. But we can't just remain in our rebellion. He does Mm -hmm. not accept that, and he does not share a space. You got to give up all the small things. You got to give up the small things. Absolutely. I think we'll close with that. Hold on to hope, but seek after him. Don't wait for the storm to do it. Thank you so much for listening and including us in your day. Before you go, don't forget to follow our podcast, leave a positive review, and click the bell icon to be notified whenever we upload new episodes. Also, feel free to join us on social media and share any feedback, questions, or discussion ideas you might have. Links are in the description. Additionally, you can't get enough of my voice. Search for the Broken Record Ministries podcast for more content for your ear holes. As always, we pray that what we're doing here is a blessing to you as well as a light pointing only ever to Him. This has been that Philly Faith podcast encouraging you to keep your feet steady upon the path, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and pursue that Philly Faith. Until next time, Shalom. God bless. Singing glory, hallelujah.